Great to see you. Great to be in here with all of you here in Waukesha. Great to see all of your shining, smiling faces this morning. Uh, I want to say welcome to all of you. Welcome to everyone who is on the other side of the camera. If you're watching online or maybe you're listening to our podcast, a big welcome to you. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Jason, and I have what I think is the greatest job on the planet. I get to serve as the pastor of our incredible campus over in Pewaukee. I want to say good morning to all my friends in Pewaukee today. Hope you guys are having a great, great weekend. And speaking of Pewaukee, we are doing something fun this week. We have decided that we are going to break the winter slump, especially after that beating we just took a couple of days ago, and we're throwing a family fun night. The idea is we're going to show a movie, we're going to make some popcorn, we're going to make some root beer floats. I heard a rumor we're even giving away an electric guitar. So it's going to be a fun, fun night right in the middle of winter to come again, just break that slump. So if you have some friends who live over on our side of town, or better yet, if you have a one that lives over on our side of town, I want you to pass the word along, maybe invite them to come along with you, bring the kids out, and let's all have a fun time Friday night. Sound good? All right. Well, let's dive in. Aside from throwing parties in Pewaukee, <laughs> one of the favorite parts about my job is I get the chance every once in a while to do premarital counseling. And over the years, I've had the, the privilege to serve dozens and dozens of couples as they have started that season of their life. And what I find interesting is that every single couple that I've ever sat down with to have a conversation with has already known the answer to this question. And the question is this, if you had to guess, what are the top two reasons that couples fight? Every couple I've ever sat down with, regardless of their background, already knew the answer. It came quickly. And I'm going to guess that probably most of you know the answer to that question, too. So shout it out. Top two reasons couples fight. What are they? And? Here we go. I would guess top two reasons that couples fight. Target is probably a high third, but we'll get to that on a different week today. <laughs> Money and sex. Two very difficult, very sensitive topics for sure. Spoiler alert, we're going to do a whole series on sex in a couple of months, so stick around. You're not going to miss that. Today, however, we are continuing on in our series called The Generous Life. Now, last week, our lead pastor, Ben, introduced us to this topic, introduced this series, and he showed us the four areas of what it looks like to live a generous life. We're going to put that graphic up from last week. He says, if you want to live the generous life, you get to be generous in four areas, with our talk, the words that we say to others, with our time, with our talents and our skills, and then this last one, with our treasure. And today, we're going to double-click on this one right here. We're going to talk about how can we be generous with our treasure. And I already know what a few of you are thinking. <laughs> oh, great. Here we go. Some of you just whispered to your neighbor, pack your bags, we're going on a guilt trip. Some of you just folded your arms because now you're just mad that you came to church on this day. So just, just hear me out. I promise you the next 30 minutes will be completely guilt-free. And I promise you it'll be completely pressure-free, right? We're just going to talk. But here's why we want to talk about this. Here's why this is so important. We really do believe that the truth we're going to be covering in the, over this series could be the answer to all the pain and frustration and stress that exists in our lives when it comes to the topic of money. And if you're not familiar with some of the stress and pain and frustration, see if any of these statistics ring true for you. They say two-thirds of all divorces are primarily because of money problems and money fights. Some of you know exactly what that feels and sounds like. 25% of Americans say winning the lottery is their best shot at financial security. 
Nearly half of Americans have less than $500 in savings, which means you're one water heater away from being completely broke. Right, the vast majority of us spend more than we earn. The average household debt, consumer debt, which means not including the mortgage, the average household consumer debt is over $100,000. And this last one gets me. 59% of people say that money is the source of their greatest fears. Now, if all that is true, if those statistics are our reality, then of course we're going to talk about this. We would be irresponsible as a church not to talk about this. And the good news for all of us and all of us watching online and all my friends over in Pewaukee is that the Bible is full of wisdom and principles when it comes to the topic of our money. We're going to look at a lot of them today. In fact, there's an entire book in here written by the richest man who ever lived. This was a king who in his day was so rich, he'd make Bezos look like a bozo. And he wrote a whole book in here. A bunch of his financial wisdom is in here. Wouldn't that be valuable? Wouldn't we want to read that? Well, we're also going to take a look at some of the words that Jesus taught about money. Surprisingly, Jesus talked a lot about money. In fact, he used money as the object in a lot of his teachings because we're so familiar with it and it's such a practical part of our lives. Now, why would he do that? Because he wanted our money? Because he's out to get our money? Actually, no. In, none of the, in, in any of Jesus' teachings, not once did he ever ask for money. Instead, he's teaching. He's teaching us how to have a healthy relationship with this part of our lives. And what's interesting, as is a lot of the case, is that what he was teaching goes, a little, uh, goes counter to what we normally think or what our usual intuition is. Now, here's what I mean by this. If we're talking about money and money problems, right? If money is a problem, then what is the answer? What's the word we usually stick in there? Anybody? More, right? If money's a problem, well, then more is the answer. I just need some more money. If I had some more money, I'd have less problems. More money would make all these problems go away. More money, and I'd be more happy. If that were true, then every wealthy person and every lottery winner would, leave, would live unbelievably abundant, happy, and joyful lives. You ever met a miserable rich person? They're out there, right? And history, unfortunately, history is filled with lottery winners who died broke and miserable. Jack Whitaker is one of the more famous. He was a uh, a Texan who won $315 million in the Powerball back in 2002. He died a few years later, broke and divorced. In one of his final interviews, he told the reporter, I wish I'd torn up that ticket. But more money doesn't solve problems. More money typically just makes more problems. And Jesus' teachings on money show us a different way, a whole new paradigm. Now ben introduced us to this verse last week, and this is really kind of the kind of the key verse or the capstone verse for this whole series. So if you're looking for a verse to memorize this month, this would be a great memory verse for you. It just says this, the words of Jesus, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is the key. This is not an economics issue. This is a heart issue. When it comes to this topic in our lives, he's asking, what condition is your heart in? What does your heart feel? Because here's the truth. We all have a posture when it comes to money and finances. We all have a, a way of thinking, a worldview, a history, all that stuff. We call it a posture. What kind of posture do you have when it comes to money? I'm going to put some words up here on the screen to kind of compare and contrast. What is a typical posture when it comes to money? And what is a godly or a holy posture when it comes to money? And the first one is just this. When it comes to money, usually we think if it's out there, it's mine. My money. My money. I earned it. I deserve it. It's mine. And we hold on to it. And that's, you know, there's that's fair. There's some truth to that. 
What would be a godly posture when it comes to this? John alluded it to, it to it earlier, is that it's all his. It all belonged to God before we earned it. It's all going to go back to God after we're done with it. It's going to be here long after we're gone. So everything we have is his. And you say, well, what, what, what about, I earned it, right? I have a job, I earned it. I brought value, I earned it. Listen to these couple of verses. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 10, it says this, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. There you go, it all belongs to him. Two chapters before that, he says this, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gave you what? The ability to produce wealth, the ability to earn. So all of it belongs to his. That would be a godly posture. Let's do another one. Scarcity. A lot of us know what this feels like. We either experienced or we were taught that there's only so much money to go around. The economic pie is just that. It's a pie and it's a little one and you get a little teeny tiny slice and whatever you get, you got to grab it and you got to hold on to it for everything you got because someone's going to come and try to take it from you. It's a scarcity mentality. There's only so much to go around. What would a godly posture be on this? We serve a God of abundance. Abundance, right? Matthew 6 talks about it this way. It says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? It's the idea that the same God who feeds every bird on the planet every single day is capable of taking care of all of our needs. He's a God of abundance, right? Let's keep going. Next one. Temporary. We think if we had a stack of money, typically the first thing we think about is the things we would buy and the places we would go, right? Which are fine. Not all of those things are bad, but they're all inherently temporary, right? Eventually, they will be out of date. I'm sorry to tell you, the iPhone in your pocket will someday be out of date. The rate they're going probably by the end of the week, right? Temporary pleasures versus eternal treasures. Matthew 6 also says it this way, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. It's an interesting word study in that, in that verse. What kind of treasures will be in heaven? People. People are the treasures that will be in heaven. So when we think about where do we invest our resources, think about building treasures in heaven. Let's keep going. Next one, payment. In America, <laughs> it is common to believe that we can have anything we want. We can afford anything we want just so long as we can make that monthly payment. And that's fine. That's not inherently wrong. But the Bible teaches a different posture. The Bible teaches that debt is dangerous. It's not a sin. Don't hear me wrong. But debt can be dangerous because it snowballs and it can become overwhelming. The, the uh, uh, King Solomon, who's that rich king I talked about earlier, who wrote the book of Proverbs, this is one of his Proverbs. He says, the borrower is slave to the lender. And if you've got or you've ever had a stack of credit card bills that comes in every month, you know exactly what that feels like. So debt is dangerous. A couple more. Fear. This is that statistic we talked about at the beginning, right? 59% of people say that money is the source of their greatest fear. That's startling to me. And that affects me because we serve a God who designed us not to live in fear. We are not meant to be in fear. It's often said the most repeated command in the Bible is do not fear. I like how in 2 Timothy chapter 1 it says this, for the Spirit of God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. So there is a better way to live than being afraid about money all the time. Last one is this one. There's our word. We often think if money is a problem, more is the answer. And again, back to King Solomon, who in the book of Proverbs 
It says it this way. If you want to have a money goal, he just says it simply like this. God, don't give me too much or I might disown you. Don't give me too little or I might dishonor you. Instead, just give me enough. Just give me enough. And have the wisdom and perspective to know when enough is enough. So can I ask you, where are you on that list? I got to believe one or two of those resonates with you, right? Where do you land on all those? And while you're thinking, I'll give you a full confession. I was every single one of these on the left-hand side. I ticked every single one of those boxes in my life. I've talked about this a little bit before. I was born the son of two drug addict, alcoholic parents. But it was a bumpy upbringing. All right, they divorced before I was born. I went to go live with my mom while she tried to clean up her life. Eventually, she got clean and sober by the time I was three. But we struggled. We were poor, poor. We lived in a car for a good part of my childhood. And so by the time I got out on my own, my understanding and my relationship with money was a little challenged, right? It's a little limited. And so by the time I got a job, started making some money, I went bananas. I went nuts. I had to make up for all the stuff that I was missing in my childhood, and I went crazy. I finally found the pleasures that money can buy you. I felt the empowerment that you get when you have some money in your pocket. And I bought all in on the lie that I needed more and more and more and more. You guys remember those wallets? Remember wallets that used to have that thing that folded out where you'd have all the pictures of your family? Remember those? I had one of those wallets, only instead of pictures, it was full of credit cards. One for every occasion, all different colors. It was great. Like that old phrase goes, maybe you heard this, I bought stuff I didn't need with money I didn't have to impress people I didn't even like. That was my mantra for years. Now, fast forward a little bit, by the time I got married, had a nice corporate job, drove a fancy car. My wife and I made more money than all of our friends. And we fought about money more than all of them too. It was miserable. When it came to generosity, we, we treated God like the tip jar at Starbucks. It wasn't really a, a priority for us. And we almost hit bankruptcy twice before we finally threw our hands up and said, is there another way? Is there a better way to live than this? Now, thankfully... Through God's abundance and God's blessing, our church in California did a series a lot like this one. And in that series, we listened, and we took notes, and we began to apply the things that we learned, right? In that series, we learned that God isn't out to get our money. God is out to fix our broken understanding of it. And so we listened, and we started taking steps, and it took some time, but slowly we moved from this side of this equation over to this side. And we began to think this way and feel this way and experience life on this side. And we began to feel freedom and joy for the first time in a long time. Along the way, we signed up for the financial peace class. Some of you have heard of this. We did the class. We paid off our debt. We got on a plan. And we slowly began to breathe again. Now, as part of that journey, we started talking about generosity. When do we want to start being generous? What does it look like to be generous for us? And we were open to the idea of it right? A lot of us are open to the idea. Actually doing it, though, turned out to be a little difficult. We, we ran into some roadblocks. We had some hills to climb on our road to living the generous life, and maybe some of these you can relate to. I'm just going to share with you. What are some of the reasons why we say no to the generous life? And the first reason for a lot of us, this certainly was the case for me, is we were just never taught. It was never modeled for us. No one ever sat me down and explained what a generous life looks like or how to be generous or why it's important. And so we just say, hey, I didn't know. 
I didn't know this was what it was supposed to be. And I'll tell you, if that's you, awesome. That is why we're doing this series. And I'll just tell you, for the record, a Christian life is a generous life. A Christian life is a generous life because we serve a generous God. And it has been that way, you guys, for centuries and centuries, all the way back to the very beginning of our faith, right? What is the genesis of our faith? God rescues the nation of Israel out of slavery, marches them on a journey, and then gives them a brand new land to live in. And with that land, he spoke into them some direction. He said, here's how I want you to live your life so that you can live abundantly and you can thrive in this new land. Part of that direction he gave was he instituted a practice called the tithe. And tithe is just an old school word that means tenth. He says, one-tenth of everything that you earn or produce is going to come back to me. Leviticus 27 says it this way. A tithe, a tenth, of everything from the land, whether grain or from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And he instituted that for two reasons. One, so we would honor him with our income. And two, so we begin to build that muscle of generosity. Because it doesn't come naturally, right? It's a simple practice to build the muscle to be generous. Now, the forefathers of our faith bought into this, and they lived this way for centuries and centuries. Now, fast forward 1,500 years. Jesus comes, he has his ministry, he dies, rises again, leaves behind the first church, the first couple thousand people that made the church. This is how generosity had passed through the generations to affect them. This is a, ch uh, a chapter out of Acts chapter 2. It says this, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to, well, there's our word, to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Our faith is built on a culture of generosity, but not just generosity. I love this last line, joyful generosity. How do we get to the place where we can be joyful about being generous? That's the journey we're on. That's what we're talking about in this series. But the crown jewel of this conversation, I'm talking about where does, where does generosity live in our faith? The crown jewel, I think, comes from one of the most famous verses of the Bible. If you watched the Super Bowl last weekend, you probably saw a guy with a bright yellow sign that had this verse on it. Oop, skip it. There you go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16. Let me ask you a question. Based on the context of this verse, how do we know God loved? Because he what? Because he gave. God is a generous God. It is in his character. And we are made in his image. Thus, we are made to be generous. And so if you forget everything that we talk about today, the one thing I want you to write down and take home with you today is just this. Why do we give? We give because God gave. There it is. Now you know, right? So the first reason we say no to the generous life is we didn't know about it. Second reason we sometimes say no to the generous life is we think we can't afford it. We look at the numbers, we look at our spreadsheet, and we think we can't afford it. We say something like this, hey, if I had more, I'd give more. And that may be true, but if it is, you'd be the exception. And here's what I mean by that. Statistically, the wealthiest people in the world are typically the least generous. Why? Because the bigger the amount, the harder it is to give. We wouldn't think that, right? But that is statistically the truth. A couple years ago, Forbes magazine did a study on this. They studied the 400 billionaires in our country at the time. They found that just under half gave less than 1% of their earnings. 
or even having billions doesn't make you a more generous person. This is one of those weird inverse truths. Actually, the smaller the amount, the easier it is to be generous. The smaller the amount, the easier it is to be generous because that's how we develop the generosity muscle. Give you another example. We're trying to teach our kids right now about tithing. I got an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old at the house, right? And they earn some allowance money and they earn extra money for doing projects. We're teaching them now about tithing. Why? Because if my son does a big project and I give him 20 bucks, who are the math people in the room? What's 10% of 20 bucks, anybody? Two bucks. Who can give away two bucks? Right? That's easy. Two bucks is easy. It's hard to give away part of your bonus, especially when you've had a great year, right? It's only hard, though, if the muscle is weak. And so the time to develop this, the time to institute this, the time to start is right now. Whatever amount you're working with, assuming we're all working with less than a billion dollars, right? <laughs> if you're a billionaire, good for you. <laughs> but the rest of us, the time to start is right now when the amounts are small. Now, time out real quick. One small caveat to this. One small caveat, and that is just this. Some of you, and I get this, no judgment here, some of you really say you can't afford to give because your finances are just out of whack, right? It feels out of control. There's not a discipline, there's not a budget, you got a bunch of debt coming in. It's just, it's out of control right now. And if that's the case, first of all, God loves you. Second of all, we love you. And thirdly, we would love to help. I want to suggest for you the same thing I did and about six million other people in our country have done, and that is to take the financial peace class. This is an unbelievable program. It's not unique to River Glen. This is a worldwide thing, and it really does live up to its name. This is for anybody who wants to experience peace when it comes to their finances, right? So if that's you, I would love for you to sign up for this. It's starting again in a couple of weeks. Here's what's really cool, though. Financial Peace charges $129 per family to attend this. But here's what's so cool. There are, there are so many families here at River Glen who already use and already live the generous life that we as a church are able to subsidize that cost and send you and your family there for only 50 bucks. 50 bucks, seats are limited, sign up while you can, get into financial peace, you won't regret it, I promise. All right, last thing. Sometimes we say no to the generous life because we didn't know, sometimes we say no because we think we can't afford it. Third reason is a biggie. You've seen too much, you've heard too much, maybe you've witnessed too much, and you just say this, hey, when it comes to money, I don't trust the church. That's what our culture would tell you. I don't trust the church. And I get it. This is a big one. So let's talk about it. Unfortunately, there have been way too many reasons over the last several years to feel this way. And I can't speak for any other church, but I can speak for this one. So I just want to take a second and share with you a little bit of my heart and a little bit of my family's heart when it comes to this area I want to share with you what are the reasons why we feel good and we feel trusting when it comes to giving here at River Glen. And I'm not trying to sell you guys anything. I'm just sharing with you a little bit of our heart to your heart. And the first reason is just simply this. It starts with our staff and our leadership, right? Every one of our elders and every one of our ministry staff is committed to tithing at least 10% of our income. We do that because we truly believe it honors God and secondly, because we want to lead by example. When any of us are up here talking about this, just know we're all doing it. We're trying to honor God in this way, and we're trying to lead by example. So you're not the only ones, and we're not telling you to do something that we're not already doing. Another thing I think is really inspiring that we do as a church is we designate a big portion of every offering that comes in to go outside of this church and to start new churches and to build up other churches, not just this church. 
Right? In the 25 years River Glen has been a church, we have started Help Start through God, have helped start 12 brand new churches. You can see pictures of a few of them out here in the, in the cafe here in Waukesha, right? Why do we do that? Because we, do, we believe, like we said earlier, that every dollar that you give doesn't belong to us, it belongs to God anyways. And it's our job to manage it well and use it to build his kingdom, not our kingdom. This last one, this one's my favorite. I love talking about this. I just think this is neat. Right? Every year in the fall, a team from our, from our church sits down with all of our local and all of our global partners. And we just say, hey, how can we help? How can we come alongside you to help you bring more hope and more healing to our communities? And they give us a list of their dreams and they give us a list of their needs and that kind of thing. And we, we compile all those lists and we come back here and we stand in front of the church and we ask for an offering with the promise that every dollar you give will give away. Now, here's the problem, and also the miracle. Historically, that weekend is the biggest offering of the year, by a lot. I think last year, the, the big offering giveaway was $210,000, $220,000, or some staggering amount, right? And we gave every dollar of it away. You can imagine how tempting it is to keep at least a little bit of that here, all right? We got stuff falling apart, right? We got some dreams around this place, too, but we don't. Doesn't matter how big that offering is, we give every dollar of it away, and believe me, it is one of the funnest and most exciting weekends of the year for us. We get to spend the next several months sitting down with these partners and writing them checks and giving them away. It is so cool. Generosity really is cool. Now, I don't know if any of those resonate with you. Those are just some of the reasons, some of the things that my family and I find inspiring. If this, if this is still difficult for you, though, I want to give you one last thing to consider. Give somewhere else. Find a church that you do feel good about. Find a church that you do trust, a mission that you do stand behind, and give there. Because we believe the benefits you receive for living a generous life isn't worth us standing in your way. So find somewhere else to give. Because we want you to feel what it's like to live the generous life. Now, what kind of benefits am I talking about? In the few minutes we have left, let's talk about what, what, what do you, how do you benefit? What does life look like and feel like when you live a generous life. First benefit you get is generosity will break the grip of fear and greed on our hearts. Here's the bad news. We all got a little bit of greed in us somewhere. Right? It's human nature. You don't have to teach a kid to be greedy. We're wired that way. And living generously helps break that. I heard a pastor say it this way, and this was so harsh. He said this, if your wife's car needs new tires, but you got a brand new set of golf clubs, you might have a greed problem. I don't even play golf, and I went out and bought my wife new tires. I mean, wow! That, we all got a little bit of greed in our hearts somewhere. And when we make the decision to be generous, and we, when we prioritize it in our budgets, it, it breaks that down. It keeps that in check. And it also, for those of us who worry about money, and I worry about money too sometimes, it helps break the fear of money. Proverbs, again, the wise king, one of his pieces of financial wisdom says this, a generous person will prosper and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. You know what's fascinating to me? You never meet a generous person worried about money, do you? I never have. You know what else is fascinating? I've never met an unhappy generous person. Another thing, I've never met a former generous person. The generous life is a blessed life. It'll break the grip of fear and greed in our hearts and lead us to live a life that is incredible. Second reason, second benefit you get when you make the decision 
to live the generous life as it furthers the mission of the church. Let's do a little audience participation here, just for, just for fun. All of you here in Waukesha, you'll follow with me. If you're online, you can put your answers in on the chat. All my friends in Pewaukee, you can participate in this too. How many of you would say, raise your hands tall, that God has used this church to help you take steps in your faith or help you find faith or help you develop a relationship with your Heavenly Father? Raise your hands tall. Let's see them. Let's see them. Wow, praise God. Now, keep them up. Keep them up. How many of you would say God has used this church to do that for your kids? Raise your hand. How many of you would say God has used this church to do that for your grandkids? Wow. We just give God a hand for that. Wow. Praise God. Now remember, remember, we're talking about how being generous connects you to the mission of God and helps move that mission forward. Do any of you recognize these names? Not those names. <laughs> They're coming. There you go. And those names look familiar? That's a group of 17 individuals who many, many years ago accepted the challenge to live the generous life. They locked in hard on their faith. They believed that a generous life really is a blessed life. And so they led the way by being generous in their talk and in their time, with their talents, and with their treasures. That list of individuals is the original launch team of River Glen Christian Church. Those are the individuals that helped build the church you're sitting in right now. Do you think any of them regret the sacrifices that they made? Not a chance. Do you think if any of them were here and they had a microphone, what would they say to all of us who might be considering, who are teetering on the idea of stepping into the generous life? What would they say? They'd say, go for it, baby. It's awesome. They would say, we give because God gave. And that is just the beginning. The generous life really is a blessed life. So where do you start? For those of you who are considering jumping on this train and stepping into the generous life, where do you start? I think you start exactly where we were taught to start. Start with our hearts. Start with our hearts. The Apostle Paul was writing to a group of Christians at a church in Corinth in the first century talking about generosity, and here's the advice he gave them. Each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Meaning, if this is still hard for you, pray about it. Ask God to help you with it. God, this is hard for me. I do have fear. I do have worry. This is hard for me. Can you please help me, teach me to be a generous person? that I can live a generous life and you can bless me and others and you be honored through me. Start with your heart. Second step to the generous life, stretch your heart. Stretch it. Do something generous you've never done before. For some of you, it might just be as simple as taking our Instagram challenge. We did this last week. Every week on Monday, so tomorrow afternoon at 2 o'clock, we're going to put out a video on Instagram with just a simple, fun, practical generosity challenge. A handful of people did it last week, and we got to see some of the replies come in. We're hoping more people participate this week. So keep an eye out on Instagram tomorrow afternoon. If you don't know what Instagram is, find a young person or someone in a red shirt, and we'll get, we'll get you up to speed, right? Stretch your heart. Try something generous you've never done before. Some of you, stretching your heart, will be giving your very first gift. And if that's you, praise God. Good for you. Some of you are going to make the decision to make giving a regular part of your monthly budget. Some of you this year are going to take the step and you're going to become tithers. Some of you this year, you're going to do something big 
you have caught the wave and you're like, we're in this thing. We want to do something big with generosity. You might send 10 kids to camp this summer. Or you might jump in on the next church plant or the next mission trip or the planting wells in Haiti. I don't know. You're going to do something big this year. I'll pray for you. I can't wait to hear the stories. Stretch your heart. We give because God gave. A Christian life is a generous life, and that is just the beginning. A generous life is a blessed life. You won't find a greater joy or a greater return on your investment than when you decide to live a generous life. And that is my prayer for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, wow, thank you. Thank you for leading the way in generosity. You have shown us, you have modeled for us that you hold nothing back, that you are open-handed and lavish in your love and in your grace and in the sacrifices you're willing to make for us. God, we believe that we are made in your image, and so somewhere deep in our hearts is that generosity muscle. And so that is our prayer this morning, God. Help us to develop that. Help us to learn to live the generous life. Because we know it will bless us, it'll bless others, and it will honor you. And God, we know this is tough. We're talking about a topic that causes so much pain and fear and stress. And so we have no other choice but to come to you for the answers, come to you for the power, and come to, for, to you for the direction and comfort. So we do. Teach us, lead us. We follow your lead, God. In Jesus' name, amen.